0: Jumping in with lesson 10 tonight. We're 10 weeks in. I hope you have been blessed beyond measure by what we've learned. And here's what we've learned so far in the 10 weeks God is most high. We're trying to understand what is the kingdom. And we started out with the 12 different um, ways that God has bound himself to humanity of all the different ways. And so God is most high. His word is His authority. His wisdom is His life. It's about righteous fellowship. The kingdom is to fill the earth. It's about a name and a nation. Last week, it was about a special possession. That was the Ten Commandments. God got a special possession of people out of this thing to where He established a law. And tonight... Uh, I don't know if I like the word I chose at the beginning, but I definitely did not want to change it, so I kept it. But if you would like to put it out beside your notes, uh, we're going to be dealing with the topic of worship uh, and, and the topic specifically the tabernacle of what God is going to do. So we're going to look at a few verses. So if you will, do not mind Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter three. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law in in Jethro. He was the priest of Midian. We get introduced to this word in the blue that I've highlighted, the priest of Midian. It's going to become a concept that through the rest of the Bible, all the way to the New Testament, all the way directly into your heart, this word is going to play a powerful role in God's kingdom. We get introduced to it in a father-in-law. It's, uh, you, you, if you do read the book of Genesis, you'll see the term priest come up right regularly, just what they represented, what they did, and the things that they accomplished. But as we pick up Exodus chapter 3, what we're going to find is that there's a man named Moses that's going to be chosen by God to go and answer a prayer. And the prayer that is being prayed is that the nation that God has pulled out of the Tower of Babel the nation that got founded in Abraham, the nation that has now expanded from Abraham into Isaac and Jacob and into the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids. We find ourselves in the book of Exodus with this problem. And the problem is they've gone from the Garden of Eden all the way into uh, the bondage of Egypt. And God's kids, His nation, His special possession, the people that have his law, the people that have his name, the people that bear his holiness that he represents, they've been captured by a wicked nation and they've been in bondage. They're the slaves. And so they start crying out to God, help us, deliver us. And you know, hopefully you may know the story, but a guy named Moses has a conversation with a tree. I think that's interesting. If I was going to teach that, it appeared to him from the middle of a bush. It's amazing that God always picks inanimate objects to reveal himself. And he talks to Moses, and Moses stares in amazement, and the bush is engulfed in flames, and it doesn't burn up. But the bush has a conversation with him. And in the conversation, the bush basically says, hey, the ground that you're standing on is very holy. And we're introduced to this new concept. We're introduced to a concept that that this God of Moses is distinctly different than most others. Because most gods, you know, I mean, of that time, I guess, are probably not going to show up in a bush and chit-chat with their subjects. And God introduces himself, and he says, well, the very ground that I'm on, the very ground that you're on is holy. And he says to Moses, he says, I have a job for you to do. Moses, Exodus three eleven and 12, Moses protests to God. I don't want to do the job. And the job was you are going to go back to Egypt you're going to tell Pharaoh, the wicked king of the other nation, to let my people go. I don't have time to teach the book of Exodus. We, uh, it's been stirring in my heart for a while. We may pick it up next fall and just study the book of Exodus like we did Genesis. However, what we will understand in the book of Exodus from the first few chapters is we're going to start having a war of a kingdom and a kingdom. God's kingdom is going to go to war with Pharaoh's kingdom. And the magicians are going to show up and everybody's going to be working magic and the universe is going to be used and flies will be used and gnats will be used and hell will be used and blood. And it just becomes this really crazy, almost like a Cecil B. DeMille movie of just all this crazy stuff that's happening. But these two kingdoms are clashing in front of us, but they're clashing through two human beings One kingdom is represented by Pharaoh and his kingdom is clashing with the kingdom represented by God. Which is strange in itself because you would think, why would God pick Moses? Why doesn't he just go in with his finger and just thump them, and just annihilate all of Pharaoh and then just say, all right, let's go. Or not even go, let's just stay here and worship here. I just killed every one of them, you know, how easy. But we go back to that God's kingdom has always been to empower himself to a people, to a human and through humans to bring about his kingdom on the earth. God never intended that his kingdom would come to earth without a human. So he's bound himself to humans. So he tells Moses, he says, Look, I want you to go lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Verse 12. God answered. He doesn't want to do this. God answered, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign that I'm the one that sent you. And when you brought the people, here is a crazy, crazy passage. And when you have brought them out of Egypt, You will worship God on this mountain. Now, that phrase is going to give us a lot of issues. Uh, Here is a great... Anybody remember the movie? It's really powerful. It's a really powerful thought that Charlton Heston goes back in time and delivers them and brings them out. And we watch the waters part and Charlton stretches his rod across and God annihilates the armies and everybody claps and the Israelites come across on dry ground. They're totally delivered. Pharaoh no longer can come after him. All of Pharaoh's army, all of his kingdom is dead in the ocean or the water, and everybody's hoorah, hip, hip, hooray. However, how many of you know that when you get delivered out of Egypt and your God that delivers them out of Egypt with a motley crew guy named Moses, according to history, uh, historical, biblical, historical documents, and if you add the numbers up, there's... Three to four million, potentially, people. So can you imagine if if, I just showed up to Garth and said, Garth, tomorrow you're going to go into metro Atlanta and you're just going to lead everybody out. (laughs) But he's got no Google, he's got no Facebook, he's got no way to communicate. There's no walkie-talkies, there's no sound systems, there's no buses. It's just a guy that walks up with nothing. He has nothing. He has no money. He doesn't have. He doesn't have airplanes. He just shows up with nothing and has three million people following. Which nobody really discusses that. Like, how how would, if you don't have a sound system, how do you communicate to three million people? I mean, what, I was in a football stadium with about 100,000, and I, you couldn't calm them down enough that I could hear the person two seats away from me. So three million people with no rules, there's no handbook. They, he just says, leave your houses and let's go. That poses a problem, I would think, for most mothers. Well, are we coming back? we take the dolls? How about the dogs? Should we take our dogs? I mean, are we coming back here or are we going for good? Because we're going for good. I mean I, I mean, come on ladies, there's a whole different way to pack. <laughs> uh, right? I mean we're going for a day, but if we're, are we leaving, leaving, like leave, never coming back here. and then you don't only have three million people, you got a lot of crying ladies. I'm going to miss school I'm going to miss the street we grew up on mom I'm going to miss all my friends and now all the kids are whining because that's all they knew was Egypt so this looks romantic but you got 3 million people that I guarantee you don't feel quite so romantic book of numbers they start whining and complaining and griping and pouting and I wish I could just go back I miss it I, I hate this life what did you bring me out here to kill me It doesn't take long before, which is what I always teach people. Miracles are great, but they don't keep you in the game. They're great. Oh, man, if we could just have a miracle, we could pack church out. We would pack church out about a month, and people would forget the miracle. Miracles don't keep you in the game. They're exciting. They're fun to talk about. Uh, They forgot the miracle pretty quickly. So what poses the problem? The problem is how do you govern 3 million people? There's no governors, there's no mayors, there's no police force, there's no law, there's nothing. My gosh, can you, can you imagine? Three million people, there's no cops. Three million people, who's in charge? Just that dude is in charge? You, that one guy's in charge of all this? So you, God, we cannot assume that God did this without thinking it through. God thought it through specifically and so God brings three million people out but God never intended the three million people would be so free that they would not have to come under his government. And so God, book of Exodus and, and Leviticus, if you ever want your heart challenged, read it because it is the establishing of God's government to a motley crew of people who don't want it. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to do this, all the way down to what they would eat, how they dress, whether they can mark their body with ink or not, every detail. So you go read the book of Leviticus, God's not up there going, oh gosh, let me come up with something. God is up there going, all right, here's what we're going to do with three million people who are going to be holy unto me and how they'll be different. So the book of Exodus is the beginning of the establishment of the government and the book of Leviticus is giving all the social cues and rules of how my people will be different from all the other people that are out there. Because God does nothing haphazard. Nothing he does is not thought of way in advance. So Exodus, Leviticus, and then we'll deal with numbers too. We'll pick all three of those out a little bit to discuss. They're not just random books filled with names and a lot of rules that don't make sense. It is the government of God that begins to filtrate into his people to manage three million people so they don't all die off. If you don't tell them what to eat and they get a bad piece of bacon because there's no way to really keep meat and then they start dying or if they get malaria or if they, and all of them just get wiped out by diseases, bad water. I mean, come on, it's not like they have filtered water in publics. They're in the middle of a desert. Three million people in the middle of a desert and they have to figure out how do you eat? How do you feed that many people? How, how long can you keep meat? And, so, all of it begins to come. So, we go back to this thought. I'm, I'm not just bringing them here haphazardly, I'm bringing them here to worship. Now, that word, you will worship God, is, is very unique because it's not worship like we think with tambourines, uh, flutes, and harps, and lyres, and let's go have a praise night. The word bring out in worship, you can even find in many of the other versions as well. It will pick the word. Uh, I want you to bring them to the mountain to serve me. They're going to be my subjects, And they're going to work hard for me, sweat for me, and labor for me. It, It really is very clear that God never intended to do this by himself. He could, but he's not going to. I love the, the whole thing, it's all by faith, but by the time you get to James, it's faith without works, is totally dead. And there's just something about Christians, we don't want to work, we don't want to, that's dirty, Ooh, that's a dirty word, work, Ooh, labor. No, it's true. Like many times we don't see the power of God because we're not willing to put the effort to it. We want God to do everything. I just want to sit in a closet with my hands like this, praying, and God's like, dude, Mark, get out of your closet. Go get some calluses on your hands, boy. Get out there. Pick up a broom. Serve me. Work hard. And so this is what God tells them. Now, that labor that he's going to call them to is going to play out through the entire Bible all the way to the life of Jesus. And it's going to be the topic of the Levitical service. He's going to establish a system, a system of service That will be the foundation of his government. Know this about God, God's kingdom. When you say the kingdom, the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of heaven is. Know this, and any time you use the word kingdom, you're going to have to include humans in the mix with God. What does Jesus say? Could you teach us how to pray? Oh, I sure will. Pray this way, and then the end of it is your kingdom come. Your will be done. In other words, the government of God from heaven manifesting in people on the earth. Heaven come down to earth. That, that is that government of God from the heavenly realm into the human realm. And I believe as we get there with the kingdom of heaven, the, the government realm of God and the heavenlies and the kingdom of God, the government realm and the earth are the same thing. They're a mirror image of one another. And God is attempting to do it. I want to talk about that tonight. And I'm going to set it up to where Chris can come in next week and really uh, go uh, another level deeper. But I'm going to set the foundation of this system of service that is the beginning of the government of God that will play out through the rest of the Bible and even today. Let's jump in, Exodus 25. And The Lord said to Moses, I want you to speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. And the contribution you receive from them is going to be this. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for fragrance of incense, onyx stones, and stones for settings of the ephod and the breastplate. And watch. Oh, man, this is beautiful. Take all that stuff I just told you to take up an offering and tell them to make me a sanctuary where I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of that tabernacle. All of the furniture is how you're to make it. So God, I guess, kind of like Noah, right? I mean, why can't God just build the boat and then shove Noah in it? Like, just build the boat, and when you're ready, me and my family will go in. That's not how kingdom government works. Kingdom government is there's the mind of God, but the mind of God will always work through humankind. His wisdom will work through humanity, humans. So here's the wisdom, build me a boat, it's 100 years to build it. Here's my wisdom, I want a tabernacle where I can dwell, but you're going to build it, not me. So there's that kingdom government, a lot of maybe what we pray, why don't we see revival maybe could be the question. Why don't we see miracles today? Because a lot of people don't want to work for it. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. you, you, You probably genuinely don't want revival. Well, maybe you do. Most Christians don't want revival. Because what that means is I got to pull my kids out of their sporting events to be here. I've got to cancel the cheer event. I've got to come off vacation because I don't know if anybody remembers Brownsville back in the day when revival hit Brownsville in Florida. uh, John Kilpatrick was at a conference, a leadership conference I was at. He says what nobody wants to talk about is it was 24-7, seven days a week, and we spent over $100,000 a month on toilet paper alone. Nobody wants to talk about toilet paper I want to know how many people got out of a wheelchair. I don't want to know how many rolls of toilet paper it took to have thousands coming in every day, getting slain in the spirit, staying till two in the morning, lined up at five in the morning to get in a building and wait for six hours to meet God. Who flushes the toilets? Who cleans? Who mops? Who gets the vomit up when somebody passes out? Who flushes toilets if they get stuck? Those kind of things is what I mean by that's what God needs is service. The miracles are easy. The people to flush the toilets are a challenge. That's just a challenge. It's easy to do a miracle, but to find people that will keep babies seven days a week for seven years straight is huge. Is, is huge. That's just the deal of what God is doing here with his kingdom government. I've got an idea, but you'll build it for me. I'll provide. I'll give you all the stuff from Egypt. I'll give you, but I need y'all to bring me the gold. Now, here's what's interesting this poses a major problem because God doesn't say, Make me a sanctuary so that you guys can have a place to dance and call home. He says, The goal is, I want to be there with you. I want to be with you. But we got to do this in such a way that if I do come down to be with you, I'm so holy, I'm going to kill all of you. But I love you so much that I don't want to wait. I want to go ahead and give you a way that where I can dwell with you and be with you and watch over you as my own special possession. But at the same time, I'm so holy and you're so not that if we get too close, all of you are going to drop dead. So God establishes a system of government Now, the system of government that he's establishing in the Old Testament is this concept a lot, especially if you're into the Jewish traditions of Scripture. This is very familiar, but this is kind of a a replica of what was being built. It it looks rather uh, motley and, and rather not very ornate at all. It just looks like some tent out in the Arabian desert that a sultan may live in. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even look like the tent of a sultan. It looks more like somebody that can barely afford to pay their bills. And next week, Chris is going to take us inside this establishment and show us every detail of what's happening inside it. I'm going to get you around it and tell you why God is doing this. But this little strange tent... This little tent within a tent, is, it's, it's weird. It is literally going to represent the government of God on earth. And does that not look like it's going to pale to every palace of every king that has ever existed? That. That doesn't seem too scary to me. If I was going to go to war, that doesn't really challenge me that much. But as you go through the Bible, you will find out that even other cultures are scared of this. They're going to be scared of the box that's on the inside of that inside tent. They're not going to like that box. That box that's in the inside of the tent, hidden very well, is going to be the very thing that's going to challenge all the other nations around that there's some government going on here. And as we move through it, the three million plus people will be about two weeks ahead. Three million plus people are going to camp around this little tent. And this will be the center of all life that will happen with God's people. Not a mall, not Amazon, a tent that will murder so many animals. I don't even know what the stench must be like. Because it's not going to be a clean place. There's going to be blood and guts and baying animals and sheep and us 24-7 a day slitting throats of animals to bring them because this system of government God is putting in place is going to be... Uh, it's not romantic. It's not a palace of gold where the sultan is bathed by his chief women and oiled up for the night and with feathers feathering him. While they bring him his drinks of fruit with little animals just around that he can pet and lay with this harem of women all around. Oh, no, no, this is nothing but entrails and guts and blood and crying animals and just blood everywhere just stitch in the middle of a sandy, nasty desert, hot, no water, no flowing water, no palaces, no women, no beautiful Arabian white horses, and that is going to be God's government. Because what it's going to show us is how much power the government of God has. And Paul will even say it's, what, it's not in all of the things of the world of what we think power resides in. It's not in riches and wealth. And, and this is what we're going to discuss tonight. Exodus 19, so Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying... Thus you shall make, say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine. And then this phrase uh, in the pink, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And God institutes to us something that's still today. So whatever thousands of years back this goes, the kingdom of priests is still today. And God institutes this thought of, you're going to be my principal officers and chief rulers on planet Earth. The thought of a priest is... And now, in God's mind, there's going to be all kind of things as we work through it. The priest, the high priest. But the intent of God is, you all are my chief officers. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to empower you. So that's where God is moving. That he's going to create a kingdom of priests. Not, he, doesn't, he doesn't just say, I think I'm just going to make you a bunch of priests. He literally calls them a kingdom. His government is going to be known through the priesthood. It's how God's government is going to get instituted. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and beauty. So you shall speak, Exodus 28 verse 3, to all who are gifted artisans whom I filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. And then this phrase, that he may minister to me as a priest, Because these are the garments they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. so they shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother and his sons that he may minister to me. If you go and read the book of Exodus, say about chapter 20 to about chapter 33, it's mind-blowing. Your mind will just explode with the details of what God is going to pull off. To begin to establish down to the very things you will do, The way you will approach me and the way you will look when you do it. Because if you don't do it exactly like I tell you to do it, you will die. So, this little thinking that God's kingdom government is this little kind of little penny annie. I just want y'all to know I love you. Do anything you want to do, I love you. The government of God is when I come up under His government, it's His way or no way. You either obey or die. And nobody likes to teach that anymore. It runs people out. Who are you? It's not me. It was his idea. You do it my way or hit the highway. And I'm not chasing you down. But he's a rich young ruler. Yeah, and I'm not chasing him down. Good luck. It'll be better to get to a rich guy than that guy to get into the kingdom of heaven. And if you really want to be weird, I know we like that Jesus left the 99 to find the one, but uh, there's not much in the New Testament of him chasing a blooming soul. You like it, come. You don't like it, there's the door. Hey, you 12, you want to go too? There's the door. I'll start all over. I just don't even like that Jesus. The Jesus that calls me higher. The Jesus that says, stop living sloppy. The Jesus that says, if you're mine, you need to be different. You're holy. You're a priest unto me. You should look different, smell different, talk different, think different, act different. Everything about you, Mark. And so he sets this established uh, government up. Now Chris is going to come and teach a different thing. I'll show you where he's going next week. But I, in two weeks, I'm going to talk about the breast piece of the high priest and I'm going to tie it into the warfare and I've taught this before between Jesus and Lucifer of what God is doing with the establishment of this high priest but this is if you google it there's all kind of different looks but this was similar to what God said you these were the high priests. this is the way the person was going to be dressed to come And to stand in front of God's presence, the little breast piece of the 12 little stones represent the 12 children, tribes of Israel. So he would stand and represent all the people, the 3 million plus, 4 million people. He would stand in front of God once a year. And this is the inside of that tent that's closed. Uh, The Bible will go and teach us that there is that, the internal tent that is the holy place, and then inside that is what would be called the most holy. By the time you get to the New Testament and you read the story that when Jesus died the veil of the temple was torn, they're talking about the curtain between the inner larger room versus the very smaller room. I'll give you a little bit more. Uh, Chris next week is going to talk about each of those articles and what each of those articles were to be doing to get you to this place of God's government. Here is the thinking. This elaborate system of religious service will be known as the Levitical priesthood and it will serve as God's kingdom government on the earth. Now this poses a problem. This problem of how does uh, does God relate to people if he's contained in this little box because as we study this and as you study it next week in depth, you will find out, and and I'll show you another slide in a minute, but you'll find out in the little hole of a room in the back called the Most Holy Place, the Holiest of Holies, was a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Now to know that, you would have to know Indiana Jones because he knew it well. And he went to go get the Ark of the Covenant and he found it. And... um, But it was slated, the best I could tell you, it was slated to be the presence of God. Like God was contained within the box. And the box is so holy, there's even a story in the Bible that a guy just brushed it to touch it and he dropped dead. Uh, it, It was so holy that if it was set in the presence of other idols and other gods, those gods would just fall to the ground. Inanimate objects would just fall to the ground. So in the strangest of ways, God is going to attach his presence to a box that will be kept behind a curtain, but it's how he will dwell with his people. And here's, here's my take on the Old Testament. He who has the box wins the war. Whoever had that box, they won it all. Uh, if you had the box, you better know God's on your side. And uh, there, I don't have time, and it's not our subject, but there's... Uh, There's crazy ways they were to carry it. There there were just so many rules. I mean, it's Exodus and Leviticus played to the T. It's every detail around this little system of worship and where they were going. But it poses a problem. How can a holy God make his dwelling among sinful humans in order to govern them? Because if he shows up, everybody dies. If he exposes himself, if he pulls the curtain down, if he's touched, if he's approached the wrong way, you just drop dead. So it seems like you would be better just to stay in heaven and go, hey, I need y'all to do this, and not get too close to them. But that's not what he said. He said, I want you to make me a house so I can dwell with you guys. I want everybody to know you're mine. I want everybody to know that, that you carry the very God that created the world is with you and among you, and he resides among you. That's really strange to much other, I don't know all Greek mythology, but there wasn't many Greek mytholic, mythological gods that were coming to try to hang out with humans. If they were doing anything, it was mate with them and control them, not just go live with them in a tent. They lived in mountains with volcanoes and you know, drove, drove, flew with horses with wings. And, but not this God. He lives in a dirt tent in the middle of the Arabian desert. Strange God he is. Totally different. The remedy, however, is going to be the Levitical priesthood. Because it will be the foundation of how a holy God will dwell among human beings. Because it will be these strange, motley crew, sinful humans that have priesthood that give them access to God. So what we learn about God's government, and and this is where it's going to get interesting, we're going to turn a hard corner. Here's where it gets interesting because this motley government of God is never going to deviate from this one thing, the priesthood. When I come back and teach on the breastplate, you rest peace, you'll understand. The priesthood of God has been from the beginning of time. That God intended Garth Yarnell, Mark Evans, Marlene, to be priests on earth, to represent him as his servants, and to carry out his will and his wisdom without excuse, never lacking anything, and whatever I tell you to do, you will love me more than you love anything else, and whatever I ask of you, you will do, and I will empower you to do it, and I don't want your opinion, I just need you to serve me. That has been from Adam until today. And this coming into the kingdom like it's a bartering tool? Well, God, I will if you will. No, 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 no. You will, Mark. There is no if I, you. It's you serve me. If I tell you to sell your house and give your stuff away and move to the middle of nowhere, you will suck it up, sell your stuff, and move to the middle of nowhere because you serve me as a priest. Here's where we get mixed up. I, Mark, do not serve you. You serve me. And when you say yes to me all the resources of my government are yours. You have all authority, all power in heaven and earth has been bestowed upon you and no devil of hell can come against you as long as you're under my kingdom government authority. So God establishes this thinking that we all will understand. I know we don't today, it's so foreign to us, but but God is establishing that I'm not just looking for a human, I'm looking for a priesthood. I'm looking for a group of people who will serve me, be my own special possession, and serve the government of heaven to bring it about on the earth. And those people are called the priests of God. So he starts it out here with an elaborate Jewish system that none of us really have any, unless you've studied Jewish history, really have any wherewithal with. So maybe we did a Seder meal and we blow a shofar. But God says, if you want to access me, have my power, have my anointing, have my abilities and everything I have, the only way you will ever touch me is the priesthood. There will be no other way to do it. And it hasn't changed to this day. What he established right there with Moses, it has never changed. It's always been the same and it will continue to be the same. Here's what he says in Hebrews. This is where it gets fun. Now, even the first covenant, that's the Old Testament, had regulations for worship. That's the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And an earthly place of holiness, that's that little tent within a tent. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which was the lampstand and a table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. And then behind the second curtain was this section called the most holy place. So now this God that is going to dwell with this motley, sinful people... It's just weird. He's going to come out of the heavenly realms where he's been most high God. He has ruled every God of all gods. He has routed Lucifer's kingdom. He controls angels. He created the universe and he whips himself into a box behind a curtain and he puts himself there and says, this is where I will dwell on earth with these people. If the box moves, you move. If it sits, you sit. You go nowhere without this box. It's going to contain the very presence of God. One, one version and many people think. It was, it was literally, I don't know if everybody agrees with this, but, but it was literally seen as the very tangible presence of God. You, you, if, you t- if you carried it, you had to carry it with poles. You just couldn't walk over and grab it. Like it literally was, how would we say, like that box was God in that moment of time. But it wasn't God, but it was. And it was so holy that there came this curtain that nobody could go except that high priest with the garb the right way. And when he went in there, he got to go one time a year. And in that one time a year, he got to represent as a priest all the sins of the people. And all the garb that he's got around him it has a little bell on him because when he got behind the curtain, nobody else can go. So he has to sit there and jingle his legs. Jingling, jingling. And if the jingling stopped, it means he's dead. And he would typically go in with a rope tied around him because if he dropped dead, they got to hoist him out because you can't go in and get him or you'll die. That's how holy the box is. So one time a year... The guy that is labeled the high priest, that is the priest above all priests, who's selected by God, he goes through these weird rituals to be holy so he doesn't die. He walks in and stands in front of the box and he presents blood to the box, goes through this weird ritual, and that weird ritual is the way God is able to stay there with people because the sins have been pretty much taken care of, not absolved, But pretty much it allows God to continue to live with this motley crew of people. These preparations have been made and the priests go regularly into the first section to perform their ritual duties. So God's kingdom government is going to be established with a bunch of ritual duties. This is how you do it. This is when you do it. This is the time to do it. Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. A burnt offering, a sin offering, a this offering, a that offering. And God establishes this crazy rituals of worship built around this tent. But in that second room, in that, the room that I showed you, in the second room, that little holy room where God resides, in that room, the high priest will only go but once a year. Oh, but you better know. I'm establishing my system of government My system of government will never be possible without blood. I'm going to require blood for my government to be possible. So therefore, it's why uh, you'll find yourself in the New Testament when they walk up and say, we abjure you by the name of, uh, you know, Jesus to come out. And the devil says, back to the person cast him out. "Uh, Paul, we know. And Jesus we know. We ain't got a clue who you are, boy. And in that moment, you get introduced into this thought that if there's not blood on your life, you have zero power in the other realm of the kingdom. Devils are not required to do a thing to honor you if yourself has not been placed under the blood of God's kingdom government. So to be born again, I claim to be saved, is not just some ritualistic prayer oh God forgive me Jesus live in my heart the moment you pray that prayer what you are praying is the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus has been applied to my life and therefore by that blood I am now part of a priesthood that puts me into the presence of God and by being in the presence of God by that blood shed for me no devil of hell has a claim to me anymore I'm different. I'm new. I. So there's this system that becomes set up, and this is where I'm going to park my plane for Chris next week. Inside this tent are all these ritualistic duties that will go on all the time. Bring me a cow. Bring me a goat. You need to wash your hands this way. You need to fillet the meat and grill it this way. You need to take the entrails out. You need to lay your hands on another sheep and take him outside. And So all of that in the blue and yellow is going on all the time. But then there's that little bitty box. There's that one time a year, only the high priest can go there for the sins of the people. And he presents an offering of blood, and when he does... Uh, God overlooks it, but it doesn't purify their conscience. Now, here's what's so interesting this ritualistic, archaic, middle of the desert tent that houses God is still today. I set it up this way for you. There they are. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. Everybody camped around it. What are they doing? What are they required to do? But what you find out as God is establishing His government in the book of Exodus and Leviticus is that the people were to bring sacrifices of worship. They were to bring those sacrifices of worship to a group of people called the priests. And the group of people called the priests would be holiness unto the Lord. That whole tent would represent the holiness of God. It would, uh, the whole system. And then once a year, uh, the high priest would go into that inner sanctuary and then the little lightning bolt of sin, because you couldn't really just go hang out with God. You could just go say hello once a year. And this becomes God's system of kingdom government. Now as long as this system is running, no nation can defeat them. It's only when they break from it and rebel and do their own thing that they get taken over, another country takes them over, another king gets them, and then they repent. Oh, we're so sorry we did it. Or they start worshiping the wrong way, or they start bringing broken sacrifices, or they start just doing their own thing and don't really care about the way God did it. And anytime they break from the system, all hell breaks loose. And it's all the way through the Bible. They get captured by Assyria, captured by Babylon, captured by the Medan Persians, uh, infighting and outfighting and killing each other off and splitting kingdoms. And, and by the time you get to Jeremiah, just giving weird sacrifices whenever they want to give them, just instituting whoever wants to be a priest. We just ordain you to be a priest. Go do it. And God's like, yeah, no, no. That's the rest of the Old Testament. It's why it's such a fun thing to read. Now, you ready? This is where it gets interesting that little archaic middle-of-the-desert thing is the way God does it today. His kingdom government is done the same way. Let's go to the New Testament. Here's what Paul will say about you and your sacrifice of worship. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, you present your body as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is how you will worship me. I don't want a cow. I don't want a goat. I want you. The blood has already been shed. Your worship is not you coming to church singing to me. Your worship is your body is mine. You don't talk till I tell you to talk. You don't pout unless I tell you to pout. Your body belongs to me. I say jump, you jump. Your body. We're not, it's not up for a discussion, Mark. It is a sacrifice. One one version says it's your reasonable service. It's how you serve me You don't serve me coming to church and opening doors for people That's just what you do if you come to church here you open a door you give an offering No, God says if you your worship is I own your body Everything you eat everything you say everything you listen to your body is the sacrifice of worship So if I go back to the front of the gate sacrifices of worship, it's not somebody bringing a goat That first line arrow is me. And I walk into this thing. And when I walk in and become a sacrifice of praise, oh, it gets a little worse. Listen to this. But you're carefully joined together and all of you working together become a holy temple to me. Now I've got the curtain all the way around it and the curtain all the way around it are the joining hands of the body of Christ that are holy unto God. We are the temple of the living God. We are the body of Christ called the local church. So powerful. This little thing, I'm going to step out of the camera a minute. So powerful is this little tent that runs around it. Do you know how powerful you are as God's people, called by His name, anointed by Him, standing arm in arm to the point that God calls you holy, You are so holy that if I talk against you, if I I come against you, if I stir things up, the Bible says me will get sick and even potentially die young because I messed with something that was holy. So, even in the New Testament, you know, we just get out there, we gossip, we whine, we complain about people, and you want to know why so many people are sickly and miserable? You cannot touch God's people. Your best bet if you're about to post is delete it and bless that person. Because even if they hurt you, stab you in the back, they are God's child and you don't need to touch God's child. Just let them go and let daddy handle them. Bless your enemy, do good to those that despitefully use you. I I, I just truly believe that. I truly believe that a lot of this, the issues today is we touch that holy thing called the temple of God, the church. And we play games with it. It's no big deal today. It's an organization, a 501c3. But it gets better. You're living stones. You're a spiritual temple. 1 Peter 2, 5. What's more, you're His holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ and you offer spiritual sacrifices. So what are the spiritual acts of worship? I, my body... Given as a sacrifice. Who are the priests? Me and you. You and I are the priests today. No, we don't We don't take some animal here and kill it. We, we serve God. We represent His kingdom. Everything that the world comes, you and I serve as priests of God. In other words, it's, it's what's so weird. You and I are the ones that go to take all the problems to the high priest Jesus. Here's where it gets even better. I, I like this. It gets so interesting. It says this, in, in uh, Hebrews 2:17. let me get to the other one. Uh, Hebrews 2, "Therefore it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that He could be our merciful, faithful high priest before God, and then He could offer a sacrifice that would take away all the sins of the people." Hebrews nine. Verse 24, for Christ didn't enter the holy place made with human hands, which was just a copy of the things in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on your behalf. And he did it. This is so interesting. He didn't just go into heaven on himself again and again like the high priest on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If it had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again. Ever since the world began... But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by the death of his own sacrifice. So this little system that's set up, this kingdom government that is a visual representation now, if we have time to really look at it, this thing that you see here in the middle of the desert is the exact copy of what's already in heaven. An exact replica. That right there, which is weird because when we think heaven, we think mansions and streets of gold and horses flying and angels going around. But this, and what's weird, you ready? It's still there. This little thing right here that is a picture off of Google of the way it would have, could have looked was an exact replica of heaven downloaded to Moses to show how the kingdom government of God would work. And then here comes the New Testament. Jesus becomes the high priest. Jesus dies. Jesus gives His blood. The curtain's torn. God comes out of the box. Right? Oh, but it gets better because not only did God come out of the box, God came back into a box of your life and God housed himself with you because God wants to dwell with humans so he put his spirit in you now I'm the little box that walks around carrying the presence of the Lord God Almighty and the blood of Jesus Christ gives me the right to have access to his presence So when Jesus died, the blood was poured out. And I said, God, man, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ dying for my sins. I believe that. Immediately, the presence of God goes on the inside of Mark's life. I become born again. The Spirit of Christ lives on the inside of me. We even teach little children, Jesus lives in you. Now I become the box. But there's no curtain. There's nothing holding me back. I'm not bound by a little bitty room once a year. That's what most people do. They come to Easter service, Christmas service. Once a year, no. I carry the presence of God everywhere I go. You say, well, what are you doing if you carry the presence of God? Well, I'm a priest on the earth. Well, what do priests do? They do whatever God tells them to do. If you tell me in the middle of Kroger to go lay hands on somebody, I walk over and lay hands on somebody. All I have to do is carry the presence of God. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go today? Most people don't wake up that way. Most people wake up, oh God, I got a busy day. Just let me make the red lights. Oh God, just don't let me hit traffic. Oh Lord, just let things go better. Help me pay my house payment. God, help me get this car note off. Help me get out of debt. Oh God, just help me not kill my husband. Because we're not priests, we're victims. But a priest wakes up. And a priest dusts himself off and says, I'm ready. I'm ready for action. I Thank you that no weapon formed against my family will prosper. I thank you that my girls will serve you My children will serve you my grandchildren will serve you And I will stand on the front porch of my house as the priest of my home And I will say no weapon formed against us shall prosper because Mark Evans has already walked to the doorpost of my house And I put the blood of Jesus over the doors the blood of Jesus over the garage The blood of Jesus over the back porch and when the dogs come in the house You're under the blood of Jesus Christ Christ. You won't get sick. You won't die young. You won't cost me nothing. Every car I buy, I walk out, I get my dad, I say, I want you to anoint it with oil and call it to belong to the kingdom of God. And my dad will anoint my car with oil and he'll say, this car, I don't care who had it before. I don't care where it was made. It now belongs to the kingdom of God. And every person that gets into it will know the presence of God. And no weapon formed against it. And it'll bring good years of service. And everybody, and I'm just sitting there going us a car it's because i believe that's what the kingdom of god is it's us understanding everything we have is yours to your glory and your name So I come out and I say, okay, God, here I am. I've I've said yes to the high priest. The blood of Jesus is over me. I'm a priest on planet Earth. What do you need? A sacrifice of worship. What is that? It's your body presented to me, Mark, as a living sacrifice, son. All right, God, here's my body. So what do you want me to do? Today, Mark, I want you to go over there. I want you to give that lady an extra $5 today. I want you to go over here today and I want you to tell that person that you're praying for them. I just want you to always be ready, Mark, because you're my priest. You carry my presence. You carry my anointing. You carry my healing. You carry my wisdom, son. Everything you need, nothing will come against you. Boy, are you ready, Mark? And then I just end up going to church trying to find a good church with good people, with music, music that I like and a preacher I can identify with. Oh, I just don't know if I want to get all that speaking in tongues stuff. I'm just tired. I've had a rough week. And yet the whole time from Adam until this morning when you woke up, God is looking for priests. And it's not that the Biden administration or Trump administration or devils or some kind of global agenda is so powerful. It's that God's priest quit serving. And any time the priests get out of line with the presence, all hell breaks loose on planet Earth. So we don't have a devil problem. We have a priesthood problem. Nobody has stood up to tell us that we are priests of the Almighty God. Every one of us in this room, men and women, are priests of the Almighty God. What that means is that God's kingdom government is backing you at all points. You will never need money that He won't provide it. If it's healing, He'll give you healing. All He needs is you out there doing it. And He will manifest Himself with signs following as we take the kingdom of God into the world. And we go back to one of the things we said. We fill the earth. Now next week, Chris is going to take us through all of the different uh, requirements of that one little drop of blood and what was going to be required because Jesus Christ is going to fulfill every one of them so that God will no longer be in a box bound to a tent in the middle of the Arabian desert. He will be in you taking the world over with His glory Because wherever you are, he will be there. Which is why Jesus said, greater works will you do. Because on any given Sunday morning, there'll be little... This sounds weird. Don't take it weird. There'll be little gods all over the earth. And by that, I mean the presence of Jesus in you. You will be all over the earth. What would happen if every person who said they were a believer woke up tomorrow and said, all right, I'm done with me. My poor, pitiful, pouty me... I'm selfish, it's all, here I am. My money's yours, my house is yours, my kids are yours. God, whatever sinful, fleshly, stupid thing that's keeping your power out of my life, here I am, a sacrifice of praise. My body is yours. What would happen? Dear Lord, in one day, the kingdom of God. Now, as we get to the New Testament, you're going to find out that this system established in the Old Testament is how the church is to be governed today. We are to be governed by priests. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, who are in direct fellowship with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, who operate under His authority and His power, and who take over the world and fill the earth. What was established here, here's what's strange, is still expected today. What does the limit of the tabernacle teach me? That God's kingdom government is impossible without priesthood. I I propose to you we don't need another church on the corner or a better preacher or pastor. God has used some of the most motley, boring people throughout history. What he needs is people who come to say, use me, God. Let me be a voice and let me be the priesthood of Almighty God. And by the time we get to the New Testament, God's kingdom government shows up in a human being who is said to be the high priest who will die as a sacrifice and go into the presence of God and pour out His blood for us and that person is going to be called Jesus. So that entire system of government that, uh, that we see the entire system of government is going to be the life of Jesus Christ. He is going to become the sacrifice. He's going to be the blood. He's going to be the priest. He's going to be the one that goes into the presence of God so that you have every right to access all points of God's kingdom in power and authority. And at that moment, nothing can stand against you. Amen? Let me bless you.